This is Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm back for another episode to talk about what you care about most in the world of college sports. Right now, it's March. That is college basketball, and we have a full slate today. As always, you can find the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, pretty much wherever you find your podcast, you can you can find this show. If you like the show, if you like what we're doing here, we'd love if you subscribe. Leave a five-star review. It really helps the show a lot, and it helps the show a lot if you tell a friend. Tell a friend about what we're doing and suggest they listen. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. That's where you'll find my gambling picks and all my other various musings in the world of college sports. So today, got a great show planned for you. Going to be a bit of a quicker one because we got a lot of content coming up the rest of this week as we get into the conference tournaments. Just a quick look ahead to that. I'll be coming to you Tuesday night. I'm going to record something Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday night should be in your feed before your commute, certainly on Wednesday morning. Uh, and I'll go through all the conference tournaments, uh, in-depth breakdown, definitely do a lot of gambling there, talk about some futures that I'm looking into, picks I like. Uh, really looking forward to doing that show. I love conference tournaments. I love conference tournaments as much as I love the NCAA tournament. So we'll do that Tuesday. Then late Thursday night after the games or as the games are winding down, I'm going to record something breaking down the early to midweek action in conference tournaments. Again, that'll be in your feed before your Friday morning commute. Get you ready for the big weekend heading into Selection Sunday. And then Selection Sunday, I'll be recording something, breaking down everything you want to know about with the NCAA tournament and Selection Sunday. More of a reaction on Selection Sunday. And then early the following week, we'll get into actually breaking down the bracket and things like that. So got a lot coming up here. Keep it a little bit quicker today, but still a great weekend. Still a ton to get into, and we'll get into winners and losers from the weekend. I'll get into some off-the-court news from the world of college basketball, but I'm going to start today's show basically where I left off on the last episode, and that's talking about the conference that had a lot at stake going into the weekend, the conference that took center stage on Sunday, the conference that my alma mater plays in, that's the Big Ten. And it was a really fun day of college basketball if you didn't have anything at stake, if your team wasn't playing. For some people who did have something at stake, it was a fun day as well. For Maryland fans, it was not. And I know we have a lot of Maryland fans out there in the audience. Uh, I'm obviously a Maryland fan, a Maryland grad. So I'm going to spend some time on the Terps today to, to kick things off in the rest of the Big Ten because it was a really big day for Maryland and many other teams in the Big Ten, but but Maryland in particular, Maryland came into the day with an opportunity. All Maryland had to do to secure a double bye in the Big Ten tournament was to win. And winning on the road at Penn State is no easy task. It hasn't been an easy task for Maryland. Maryland hasn't won there in some time. And Maryland, I think famously at this point, has really struggled on the road this year, coming into the game today against Penn State. One in eight in the conference on the road, 10 and0 at home. The only two road wins Maryland had on the year was in the non-conference at Louisville, and Louisville has had the season from hell, finishing up the regular season four and 27. And then at Minnesota, Minnesota, the last place team in the Big Ten. So not a lot to write home about 
from a road win perspective. I will point out that Maryland has some good neutral site wins. They beat ACC co-champion Miami, and they didn't just beat them. They destroyed them 88-70 to at the Mohegan Sun back in November. They also beat St. Louis by about 30 in that very same tournament. St. Louis not looking necessarily like a tournament team. They finished tied for second in the A-10. So, you know, they could go on a run and get the auto bid, but they're not looking like an at-large selection at this time. But still, a couple couple neutral site wins there, and then they played Tennessee really tough and could have won that game. That was on neutral site as well. So it's not like Maryland has not been able to, to play at all away from Xfinity Center. And in fact, in a lot of these road losses, they've, they've played tough. I mean, they had a couple blowouts early in January, but, you know, Lost by Purdue, lost by three to Purdue in Mackey. That's nothing to sneeze at. Lost by five at Michigan State, had a chance to win that game. Lost by five at Wisconsin, had a chance to win that game. Lost to Nebraska in overtime, had a lead late in that game. And then today, they lost to Penn State. They lost to Penn State 65 to 64. And for large stretches of this game, Maryland looked like they were going to, quite frankly, run away with the thing. Uh, Big lead early in the first half. Maryland really looked like they were giving Penn State all they could handle defensively. Penn State looked lost. Penn State looked absolutely lost on the offensive side of the ball. Maryland goes into halftime up 35-22. Really could have, probably should have been 35-19, but Jalen Pickett made a ridiculous three near half court uh, that gave Penn State just a little glimmer of hope, but Maryland up 16 late in the second half, goes into the locker room at halftime up 13, 35-22. Nothing was easy for Penn State at all. Nothing at all. And offensively, Maryland was having a lot of success, especially playing through big man Julian Reese, who has really come on. I've talked about him a ton on this show. Really nice first half for Julian Reese and just kind of continuing his stretch of strong play. Into the second half, Maryland continued to to play fairly well. Maryland was hitting a lot of threes, which I was a little weary of. Penn State is a good three-point shooting team, and it seemed like Maryland was, to some extent, getting sucked into their game of what they wanted to do. But it was okay because Maryland was was making a lot of threes, and they were getting open looks. But still, you know, you, Maryland's strength is not, is not the outside shot. Maryland's strength is attacking the basket. Maryland's strength is attacking with Jameer Young. Attacking with Julian Reese, getting um, good attacks, good drives from Dante Scott and Hakeem Hart. And then, you know, using the three kind of to supplement that aggressive downhill approach. So I thought Maryland was maybe getting sucked into that a little bit, but it seemed like it was not going to be a concern. And then the end of the game happened. And Maryland had a 15-point lead with 12-11 to go. They only scored 14 points in the final 12 minutes. They had a 12-point lead with 6.49 to go, and then they only scored seven the rest of the way from there. And I think one of the turning points of the game was Penn State went small. Julian Reese had to come out of the game because he had given up a couple threes. He he had a, a, a tough matchup with Miles Dredd. He went under one ball screen, gave up a three, um, had some issues on another play and was kind of at fault for a three. So he came out. But I think while he was 
potentially a detriment to Maryland on the defensive end. I think to some extent that changed the way that Maryland was playing on the offensive end too, where they were not nearly as effective. And Reese had a really nice game. He was four for seven for 12 points. And he went four for four from the line, which is an area where he really struggled. Uh, But Maryland struggled immensely to score in the last seven minutes of that game, seven points last seven or the last 649 in the game and Penn state, the last eight minutes or so came alive from three. They basically did nothing but shoot threes the last eight minutes over that last eight minutes. They went three of nine from three. They were fouled shooting a three. Uh, Andrew Funk made a jumper, a two point jumper that he thought was a three And then outside of that, they got three layups, two off offensive rebounds. So Penn State was essentially exclusively shooting threes, got them back in the game. But I think it was really Maryland's lack of scoring more than anything that allowed them, Penn State, to get right back in the game. And uh, Julian Reese did come back for stretches. He was in for the final Maryland's final offensive possession where he scored. He got a layup. It was a great play. Uh, Nice little screen where Don Carey got him the ball going to the basket. Great play. Loved it. Thought it was a great design, great execution, and exactly what Maryland needed, not relying on a jump shot there. Um, and then on the last play of the game, Maryland had a really nice defensive possession, forced a three. Seth Lundy missed the three. Maryland had three guys prepared to get the rebound. The ball ends up trickling over to Cameron Winters, who made a layup as Time essentially expired. They ended up putting a few seconds back on the clock, but or not a few seconds, tenths of a second, rather, back on the clock. But uh, that was essentially the game there, and it was a really, it was a gut punch. It was a gut punch way to lose for Maryland, and now Maryland lost their opportunity to get a double bye in the Big Ten tournament. Maryland will be the sixth seed in the Big Ten tournament. means they will have to play on Thursday, play an extra game if they have desires to win the conference championship, win the conference tournament. And uh, it hurts from that perspective. But I think what really hurts more than that is it felt like Maryland, this was a, a kind of a coming out party where Maryland was trying, was going to show, Hey, we've heard the criticism that we can't win on the road and we can, we can go out and win on the road. We can put up a good performance. And for, Two-thirds, three-quarters of that game, it looked like they were kind of making a statement in that way. It looked like they were going to hold Penn State potentially out of the NCAA tournament, put a damper on on their dreams there. But what we've seen over and over again is Maryland just has not played complete games on the road. And uh, I think that was that was really a disappointing aspect of this. Uh, you know, it's easy to question Kevin Willard and that decision to take out Julian Reese because Maryland was still giving up a lot with uh, defensively without him in the game. It might have been worth it to at least bring him back in at times to try to go offense-defense. They didn't have a lot of timeouts left towards the end of that game, so that probably plays a factor into it. But it really was a gut-punch game, especially when Seth Lundy missed that three. It looked like, okay, Maryland's going to survive. And... um didn't just ball ball did not bounce the right way for the Terps on that last possession. Uh, I rewatched the last eight minutes. I actually felt better watching that last eight minutes than I did in real time about how it all went down. And I guess this is a good time. I'll kind of take you through my reaction because I know a lot of people like to hear 
how I reacted. They know I'm a big, big fan and passionate about this. So how did I react? Well, I immediately turned off the TV. That was the first thing. Turned off the TV, went upstairs, started cleaning the bathroom. Just cleaned the bathroom for about an hour, mopped the bathroom, mopped my upstairs area, scrubbed the tile in my bathroom. Really a deep clean. Really a deep clean. I had to do something. Had to do something. Couldn't just sit there thinking about the game. Oh, I also turned my phone off immediately because I'm like, I don't want to. I nothing that comes in is gonna is gonna do anything to make me happier. It's not gonna make anything better for me. I'm likely to say something that I don't want to say or just get irritated. So turn my phone off for about ten minutes. Turned it back on. That wasn't enough time because snapped at a friend who said this was a a terrible maybe the worst Maryland sports weekend ever because the baseball team got swept. Uh, men's basketball lost on Sunday to Penn State. Women's basketball lost in the semifinals of the Big Ten tournament to Iowa. The men's lacrosse team lost. I mean, he's not wrong. It, it's not not a good weekend, but got a little snippy about that. Shouldn't have done that, but he understands. He knew I was just lashing out. I told him I was lashing out. said, I got it. You know, look, we've all been there. Anybody in that group text is is a passionate Maryland fan. They know what it's all about. Uh, so then turned my phone back off again, finished cleaning, finished uh, cleaning the bathroom, then took the dog out for good hour walk. And, I mean, look, before, you know, oh, hour walk. I mean, he's a Siberian Husky. He That's that's normal. That's life. That's that's uh, not even half of what he does on, on a given day, typically. So... A long walk, but not an atypical walk. But I just needed to do anything to get away from watching games, reliving this for the last, you know, for however long. And it ended up being about two hours where I just was away. Away, disconnected from thinking about college basketball. And then what I do, first thing, come back. I had some distance from it at that point. Came back, rewatched the last eight minutes because I'm a professional. Take this seriously. I want to give my insight. I want to make sure that, you know, I have some clear judgment. It's not getting lost through the emotion. So I took it hard. I really did. I, I didn't want to watch college basketball for a few hours. I didn't want to uh, read about the game. I didn't want to read about college basketball. Um, it was going through my head as I was cleaning, as I was walking the dogs. I was trying to get away from it. I was thinking about that last possession. I was thinking about what they could have done differently. I was thinking about the impact of it. I was thinking about where does this rank among the worst Maryland losses I've experienced. And it's not even close to uh, the top five. I can name four off the top of my head real quick that are significantly, significantly worse because um, in a couple cases they were season enders. But, I mean, number one, I'll just go through the worst ones real quick. Number one worst loss all time is Maryland blowing a huge lead. I believe it was an 18-point lead in the 2001 Final Four to Duke. I end up losing that game to Maryland's Maryland's biggest rival. I know it's not Duke's biggest rival, but it was Maryland's biggest rival at the time was Duke. Uh, lost that game. Number two, earlier in the season, lost a 10-point lead at home to Duke with 54 seconds to go, known as gone in 54 seconds or the 54-second meltdown, whatever you want to call it. That was another atrocious one. Not a season ender, but it kind of felt like it at the time. That was a time Duke was very much on top of the college basketball world. Maryland felt like they were building something and had the ability to kind of overtake Duke, take them down, and that would have been a, a big statement win and didn't happen, should have happened, 
choked a, a huge lead. So that one's far and away above what happened today against Penn State. And number three for me, and I've been watching Maryland basketball. My real memories of Maryland basketball probably started in like 1995. So, you know, coming up on almost 30 years of truly being ingrained and watching and knowing what's going on. But number three for me is easily the Corey Lucius buzzer beater to beat the 2010 Maryland team. That was a team that featured Gravis Vasquez, Eric Hayes, Landon Milborn, Jordan Williams. It was Gary Williams' last NCAA tournament team. And what made that loss even more painful was that Maryland was the four seed in the bracket. Michigan State was the five seed. It was a second round game. And the number one seed in the region, Kansas, had already lost to Northern Iowa the day before, meaning the winner of that game had a fairly clear path to the final four. I believe there was a pretty good Tennessee team waiting on the other side of that bracket. Uh, if I if memory serves correctly, I think it was I think it was Tennessee. Um, but either way, there was a yeah Tennessee was on that other side, but they were they were a six seed that year. Michigan State would end up beating Tennessee in the Elite Eight to go to a Final Four. It always felt like that was Maryland's that was Maryland's Final Four to get to uh, with that bracket kind of falling apart in that way. One of my favorite teams was a student at the time. It's probably the team that is I've ever felt most connected to. So that's a particularly painful loss for me. So those are three just off the top of my head that are significantly worse than this Penn State loss today. In a weird way, I'm kind of happy that I felt such a gut punch out of this game today because in the previous era in over the last maybe five years or so it's almost felt like Maryland loses a game like that I kind of shrug my shoulders and a lot of people I know feel the same way kind of shrug their shoulders and are like oh that's what you expect that's what you expect to happen in the previous era of, of Maryland basketball and I hated feeling that way it was more of like a a sadness and being resigned to it happening than an anger that it happened or a frustration. I mean, there was definitely frustration, but it was like you, I felt very resigned to it. And that's a, a common sentiment among other Maryland fans. I talked to, they felt very resigned. This was different. It felt like this was a game that was painful. It was a gut punch. They should have won it, but it wasn't like, Oh, that's Maryland. That's what you expect to happen. So I think in kind of a strange way, the gut punch nature of today's game and the feelings that kind of visceral anger and just wanting to shut off the TV actually feels good. It actually makes me feel like Maryland basketball is in back in a good place. And look, if you ask anybody, if you ask me before this season, Maryland still is a, is a lock to make the tournament. Maryland is making the NCAA tournament. Don't even get into this game. I don't want to come. You want to compare them to some of these bubble teams? Sure. I'm glad to do it. Uh, we can maybe do that another day. I don't think it's necessary, but compare Maryland to Wisconsin, compare Maryland to Arizona state, compare Maryland to Mississippi state, compare Maryland to North Carolina. Maryland has a better resume than all of those teams and clearly deserves to be in the tournament. They will be in the tournament. I am not an ounce nervous about whether they will make it or not. So Maryland will be in the NCAA tournament. You ask me, you ask any Maryland fan, that was going to be a win before the year. It's been a great year. It was very disappointing after that huge win against Northwestern to drop two road games. 
But I, I think big picture now with a few hours to think about it, Maryland's still in a really good place. I want to win games in March. I want Maryland to win games in March. Uh, as the sixth seed, they will play the winner of the 11-13 game in the Big Ten tournament on Thursday. And that's a game I, I suggest they, they not lose. It's Nebraska versus Minnesota. Or, sorry, 11-14 game. The winner of Nebraska versus Minnesota. And that's a game I, I strongly suggest Maryland doesn't lose. They're going to be the more talented team. They're going to be the better team. Uh, they should take care of business in that game and give Maryland fans something to be excited about in March because that was a very big criticism of Mark Turgeon and the last coaching staff and the last era was there was not a lot of March success, and really it was disappointing. It felt like Maryland always finished the season trending downwards, and this year felt different, but now they've dropped the last two. Again, it's year one for Kevin Willard. I think they're in a great place, but I would love if Maryland could win maybe, I don't know, two games in the Big Ten tournament, a game in the NCAA tournament, I think would qualify as an overwhelming success of a season for this Maryland team. So this game today hurt. It was a gut punch. Uh, it's one of those games where, you know, I just had to get away from it all for, for a while. That's that's what it felt like. But I think with some time to reflect, time, time to look back, Maryland's in a good spot. I'm not convinced that this says anything about Maryland, and I think if they can turn the page, we'll know a lot by how they're able to turn the page heading into the Big Ten tournament. I have confidence they can do it. I have a ton of confidence in Jameer Young and Julian Reese. They're going to need more from Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott, two seniors, two guys that have been meaningful to this program. Uh, You know, they didn't have to stick around when Mark Turgeon left. Kevin Willard came in. They had every opportunity to leave and go elsewhere, and they stuck around, and and I'm grateful for that. I, I appreciate that. It was you know, nice to see them embrace Kevin Willard on senior night and have this run, have this year that, they're, that the team is having. But they're going to need more from those two seniors if they want to make some noise in March. So that's what I'm looking for, Terps-wise. Elsewhere in the Big Ten, I mean, this was a game, this was a day that really kind of defines this whole season in the Big Ten where nobody can truly separate themselves from the rest of the pack outside of outside of Purdue. Purdue is the clear number one best team in this conference, best team in the Big Ten, but everybody else is just so close. And, you know, I'm recording this. We still have a couple Big Ten games to go today. Uh, Northwestern, Rutgers is ongoing right now, as is Wisconsin, Minnesota. So we're still waiting on some results there. But I think this is very telling, and you will know the results by the time you hear this. But... Northwestern, if they beat Rutgers today, they will be the number two seed in the Big Ten tournament. If they lose, they will be the number nine seed. That defines Big Ten basketball this season. There is so little separation among all these teams, two through really, probably two through 13, truly. Two through 13, two through 12 at at least. And just from a numbers perspective, you know, two through twelve. No matter who, no matter who wins the this game, Rutgers or Northwestern, the number two team in this league will be twelve and eight. It'll either be Indiana at twelve and eight or Indiana and Northwestern both at twelve and eight. But the number two team in this league will be twelve twelve and eight. If Wisconsin takes care of business against Minnesota, they will be nine and eleven. They will be the number twelve team in this league. So three games separates the number two team 
from the number 12 team in this league. That's how close the Big Ten is. And that's why we're seeing all these blown leads, all these buzzer beaters, all these overtime games. And in typical Big Ten fashion today, Iowa, another team with a chance to get that double bye, secure a double bye, has to win a home game against Nebraska. Can't get it done. They lose 81-77 to Nebraska. Nebraska's playing well. They're playing good basketball. Michigan. Another overtime game for Michigan. And Michigan's bubble may have burst today. I think it's, this may have done it for Michigan. Two big chances this week. They lose on the road 75-73 to to, to Indiana in overtime. And it's been, for Michigan, just a tough road. It's three overtime games in a row. They win in overtime against Wisconsin lose in double overtime earlier this week against Illinois, and then lose in overtime to Indiana. And again, at the end of this game, Michigan, just the lack of execution. At the end of regulation, Hunter Dickinson got the ball taken from him. He got the ball taken from him at the end of regulation with a chance to, to win this game, I think under, under 30 seconds left. Yeah, 29 seconds left. Hunter Dickinson turns the ball over in a tie game. Michigan really lucky. Race Thompson, great play by Race Thompson to make the steal. Misses the layup. There was some contact there. Could have called that, could have called a foul. Uh, but Hunter Dickinson turns the ball over there. Then in the end, at the end of overtime, again, Hunter Dickinson gets the ball taken from him. They bring a double team. Uh, they're down, I believe, 75 to 72 at the time. 14 seconds left. They bring a double. Hunter Dickinson turns the ball over and the lack of execution, you know, look, Hunter Dickinson with different results this week, just slightly different execution down the stretch. Hunter Dickinson, I think could have made him a really strong case to be first team, all big 10. He had 31 points against Illinois, 31.16 boards. We talked about that game earlier in the week. And then against Indiana today, 24 points, 14 rebounds. He has done so much for this team. He has great individual numbers. Michigan at the end of the game, just not making the plays you need to make to win games. And Indiana, for their part, didn't do a lot of things either. At the end of this game, in overtime, Race Thompson missed four consecutive free throws that really kept Michigan in the game. And Michigan got the ball back down to two seconds left in the game or three seconds left in the game. And Kobe Bufkin, racing up court, throws the ball into Hunter Dickinson's back. You know, I know Bufkin's a, a young guard. It's a, it's a tough situation, tough play. But I would have really liked to see Bufkin, for as well as he's been playing, and he put up 19 points in the game today, I would have loved to see Bufkin try to get downhill, attack, and not give the ball up to Dickinson. Dickinson wasn't even paying attention. Honestly, he was, he was trying to get down the court. Buffkin threw it in his back, and it's just those kind of plays. Like, they didn't even get shots up. You know, Dickinson had these two turnovers. They couldn't even get shots up. Buffkin, on that last play of the game, they don't get a shot up because he throws it in Dickinson's back. And uh, Michigan, I don't think, at this point, deserves to make the tournament. They just haven't done the things that you need to do to make the tournament. We'll see what they can do in Chicago. We'll see what they can do in the Big Ten tournament. It looks like... They will be potentially, depending the the results of this Northwestern Rutgers game, either the five seed or the eight seed. So I'm not sure a win in the first round 
You know, strangely enough, Michigan might actually want to be the eight seed because a win over Rutgers in that first round, and that's who they'd play, would be a lot more meaningful than a win over either Ohio State or Wisconsin as the five seed. Now, then you get into the quarterfinal round, and I guess the question is, you know, you can either play potentially Iowa can get that uh, Iowa can get that four seed still if Rutgers beats Northwestern. So it could be Michigan, Iowa in the second round. So would you rather play Iowa or would you rather play Purdue? Probably Iowa in that situation. But again, a Purdue win is more meaningful. So I don't know. Maybe you got to win. I think they got to win two games. I think they got to win at least two games if they want to be considered in this at-large conversation, in this at-large conversation still, they had big chances this week. They they didn't convert. They're 17 and 14. They didn't have a good non-conference season. And I'm a big believer, and I've said it over and over again, that non-conference has to matter. Non-conference absolutely has to matter. And you look, and they've lost games to Arizona State, another bubble team, they lost a game to North Carolina, another bubble team, and then they have the really, really bad loss to Central Michigan, 10-21 and 21 Central Michigan. And I think that all has to matter. Like We talk about college basketball and how nobody cares about college basketball until March. Well, in order to make people care about college basketball, that early season has to have an impact. It can't all be about conference play. It can't all be about the last 10 games. And I just think Michigan has nobody to blame but themselves if they get left out of the tournament. They've had chances, and they haven't quite converted. And, uh, you know, I do think this makes a larger point about college basketball this year, though. As close as the Big Ten is, I think that's how close this whole sport is right now. Because it wouldn't shock me at all if Michigan got in the tournament, Michigan won a first four game, Michigan made it to the second round, or even in Sweet 16 because Hunter Dickinson is that good. And I think that's where we're kind of at in college basketball this season, where I've talked about it before, maybe two, three weeks ago, the margins are so razor thin, and I think nothing defines that more than the Big Ten. And on the national stage this weekend as well, just like in the Big Ten where Maryland was fighting to kind of secure their standing as a top tier Big Ten team get that by in the Big Ten tournament in the uh, from a national perspective there were teams like Baylor Baylor was fighting to be considered in that top tier nationally to secure a number two seed in the NCAA tournament maybe even still be considered for a one seed I don't think so I don't think that was never realistic but maybe uh, but probably not but either way a two seed at least was where they were going to that what they are trying to secure it's still one of the top 8 teams in the country it's it's a you get a two seed you have a chance to win a national title uh, that's what Baylor was fighting for Baylor loses a clunker at home to Iowa State they lose by 15 to Iowa State at home on senior day scored 22 points in the first half not what i was expecting at all i gave out two bets on Baylor first half and the game that was a big loser but i think nationally Baylor was a team that fell short this weekend that, you know, showed that the difference between a two seed and a seven seed, a two seed and a nine seed is maybe not as great as we think. Kansas 
a team that I said on the podcast a few days ago, I think should be considered for the overall number one seed based on the strength of their performance against the highest quality competition in the country. You know, they had a really tough game on the road against Texas, but they essentially get blown out. They lose by 16. They don't even score 60 points in the game in Austin. And maybe I think that kind of tells us maybe there's not even as much of a difference between a one seed and a five seed as we think, as we typically think of. So if in the Big Ten this weekend it was defined by teams like Maryland and Iowa falling short and showing that there's really not a ton of difference between Penn State and Maryland, between Nebraska and Iowa, I think nationally we saw this too with some of the results in the Big 12 uh, in particular really standing out. And I think if anybody, another game, Alabama. Alabama losing to Texas A&M. And you all know, I've been all over this Texas A&M team. I love this team. I bet on them this weekend. I, I was so close on that 26-1 to 1 bet for them to win the SEC. I was lamenting it all day on Saturday. But Wade Taylor, the guy who just does nothing but get to the line for Texas A&M, puts up 28 points. They hold Bama to 61. And I think if there is one winner of this weekend, if there is one team that I can come out and say they are the winner of this weekend, it's the Houston Cougars. Because they hit a buzzer beater at Memphis today to get the win on the road, tough road environment. Jamal Shedd hits the game winner. And Houston has done nothing but win this season. They are now 29-2. and They're the number one team in Ken Palm. They're the number one team in the net. And after watching Kansas lose to Texas, after watching Alabama lose to Texas A&M, I think that at this point I'm ready to say Houston is that number one overall seed. I thought Kansas had a really good case for it, a really good argument for it, but I thought they were probably going to have to win out, which would have, would have included that Texas game they lost. They can still pick up some really good wins in the Big 12 tournament, a bunch of quad one wins, wins over potential number two seeds in there for sure. Baylor is the four seed, so they'd play Baylor in the semifinals. But if Houston takes care of business the rest of the way, which I don't see any reason to believe that they won't do that. If Houston, sitting at 29-2, and number one in basically everything, or at least the things that seem to matter, Net and, and Ken Palm, if Houston, 29-2, takes care of business, wins three games in the AAC tournament, maybe beats Houston again, or maybe beats Memphis again, rather, uh, maybe they play Cincinnati, then playing some good basketball as of late, then I don't see how they can be held out of that top number one overall seed. If they lose, still maybe opens the door for Kansas, maybe opens the door for Alabama. I think Kansas is is more deserving based on what I talked about with those quad one games. But I think Houston is the number one, the number one winner of the weekend, taking care of business on the road, getting a big win, while these other teams in competition with them for to be the elite elite of the sport faltered. So Houston, for me, winner of the week. A bunch of other winners for the week that I'll run through. And these are all the auto-bid winners. So the, the Ohio Valley Conference champion, Southeast Missouri State, 
the number five seed in the conference tournament, won four games in four days, including the championship game over the two-seed Tennessee Tech in overtime. They somehow rebound in overtime after Tennessee Tech connects on a full-court pass and hits a jumper to send it to overtime. Unbelievably deflating scene for Southeast Missouri State. They rebound in overtime. They get the win. They're going to the tournament. Missouri Valley champion Drake, the number two seed in the MVC. They beat top seed Bradley in the final. Tucker DeVries, a four-star player in the class of 2021, puts up 22 points as he and his dad, Drake head coach Darian DeVries, will head to the NCAA tournament together as a duo. What a story there. Watch out for them as a 12 seed or so. Uh, I think that's, that's going to be a popular pick to win a game in the tournament. But Tucker DeVries, he's a guy who could have played a lot of places. He could be playing in the Power Six, and he chose to go to Drake, play with his dad, and now they're going to the tournament together. What a story. A-Sun champion Kennesaw State. The Owls beat Liberty to win the A-Sun. The two schools tied for the regular season crown, but the game was at Kennesaw State. The final was at Kennesaw State due to their head-to-head regular season win against Liberty. Liberty wins it on a Terrell Burden free throw with under a second left. A fairly big upset as far as like Ken Palm ratings are concerned. Kennesaw State 129th in Ken Palm, Liberty 46. The Owls are going to the Division I NCAA tournament for the first time in program history. This is a program that actually has a pretty rich Division II basketball history, and, and I believe they were NAIA before that. They have a they have a Division II national championship in their history, but their first time going to the tournament as a Division I team. Congrats to Kennesaw State. Kennesaw State's a program I have a soft spot for. Having lived in Atlanta for a long time, they are located you know, outside of Atlanta, but it's a, it's a school that has just grown immensely even over the time that I lived there, which was about seven years that I lived there. That school just grew and grew and grew. They're becoming an FCS football power, now making the NCAA tournament in basketball. Congrats to the Owls. And then in the Big South, UNC Asheville, regular season champ, gets the job done versus Campbell. Drew Pember, the 6'11 senior, Big South player of the year, started his career at Tennessee. He poured in 29 points, grabbed eight boards, and added three blocks as they get the win. He is quite a force, number one in the nation in fouls drawn per 40 minutes. And UNC Asheville has lost just one game since the calendar turned to 2023. They will be dancing, and Drew Pember is a name you're going to want to remember come tournament time. 6'11 senior, he's a force. Watch out for him in UNC Asheville. And then the last uh, conference champ, or the last auto bid, I should say, rather, not a conference champ, and a kind of weird story, Fairly Dickinson will be going to the NCAA tournament as the auto bid out of the NEC uh, because they are going to the championship game where they will play in Merrimack. Merrimack is not eligible to go to the tournament because they are still in the midst of a reclassification process from Division Two to Division One. During that reclassification period, you're ineligible ineligible to go to the NCAA tournament. So they will still play a championship game. Merrimack can still be NEC champions, but Fairleigh Dickinson will earn that tournament bid. Kind of a weird way 
to get a tournament bid. Uh, but congratulations to Fairleigh Dickinson. But this also brings me to my loser of the week. And this whole reclassification process is, it just, I hate it. I absolutely hate taking away a chance from a school like Merrimack. These guys on this team that uh, potentially can win a conference championship have done absolutely nothing wrong. And I, I understand like the, the theory behind it is the NCAA doesn't want teams jumping up and down from levels, you know, nonstop willy nilly. And this is a way to kind of deter teams from doing so. You have to be really serious about going to division one. If that's what you want to do, you can't just jump up to division one because you have a good team. I think there's a much better ways to handle it than this. I think, look, if you're jumping to division one, um, if you're jumping up a level, I don't see any reason that you should be ineligible for postseason play for any period of time. If you are jumping up a level, you are already at enough of a disadvantage. Uh, so I don't see any reason for this to be in effect. I think if you're moving down a level, that makes a lot of sense. I think if you're you know, transitioning, like if you move up to Division One, then you're like five years later, we're like, oh, we're going to move down to Division Two. Call it like within the first 10 years, you say you want to move back, then maybe you should not be able to be eligible for postseason play for four or five more years and then, you know, increase that uh, amount of time more and more the more times that you transition back and forth. But I it just, you know, I, they are not, Mary Mac is not losers. Those guys are not losers, but I hate it for them. And uh, I guess that's why I'll put them in my, in, in as one of my losers of the week because, because it sucks. It sucks. And they're kind of getting the short end of the stick here. Uh, those guys, did nothing but go out and play hard and they won the regular season NEC title and they were already facing enough obstacles moving up transitioning from division two and you know look they're they're now in division one they're in a conference with similar schools they went out and competed they won the regular season they are playing in the championship and if they win that championship game they have they deserve the opportunity to go to the NCAA tournament. So I won't even say they're one of my losers of the week. I will say that it is very unfortunate for them, and I hate it for them. And the NCAA needs to do something about that. Uh, it's just, it's unfortunate. It's not the first time we've seen something like it, but it is the most recent, and, and something's got to change there. All right, this next one is a loser of the week, and that might be my conference tournament final under strategy. So I talked about it a little bit on the show last time. One of my favorite strategies was identifying those conference championship games where the teams were both where they had played on a neutral court or they were playing that championship on a neutral court, and both teams had played three days in a row. Tired legs, a lot of pressure, typically leading to lower scoring games. Well, over the weekend, we had a couple of those opportunities. We had a couple of things that, games that met the, those criteria. Then we had another game that didn't quite meet the criteria, but was almost there. That was the Ohio Valley. We had one team that had played four days in a row. The other team had just played two, but they were playing on neutral court. So I wanted to at least take a look at it. Ken Palm had that game in the Ohio Valley championship game with a total of 152 points. What it was actually set at? by the bookmakers was 144 and a half. Not great. Downgrading at seven and a half points. Really not great for our strategy there. The Big South, 
met the criteria to a T. Both teams playing third game in three days on a neutral court. Ken Palm had it at 140. The bookmakers had it at 132.5. So again, a 7.5 point downgrade. Both those games end up going over. And then the last one, the Missouri Valley, again, hit it to a T, hit the criteria to a T. Neutral court, both teams playing their third game in three days. Ken Palm had this one at 133. This one only got a two and a half point downgrade down to 130.5. And the under did hit in this one. But the bottom line here, y'all, is that the bookmakers are the bookmakers are hip to the strategy. It's always hard to beat the book. Can't beat Vegas over the long enough period of time. I don't think it's possible, but you can sometimes find these little things. We had one here for a good long time. It seems like the bookmakers know what's up. They're downgrading these lines. They're lowering these totals like seven points, seven and a half points. So I don't know. Maybe you got to start looking at overs where it makes sense. Maybe you don't play them at all. I got to go back to drawing board here because it's one of my favorite strategies, and it looks like it's not so easy as it once was. So the under strategy in conference championship games I guess that's going to have to be one of my losers of the week. Now, the last thing I want to touch on during today's show is some off-the-court news. And that's some news that came out on Sunday morning from Texas Tech that Texas Tech has suspended head men's basketball coach Mark Adams. And the statement that Texas Tech released said, uh, quote, Texas Tech University has suspended men's basketball head coach Mark Adams in relation to the use of an inappropriate, unacceptable, and racially insensitive comment last week, end quote. Now, Jeff Goodman from Stadium also did some reporting, and he reports that the school is also investigating a separate incident from earlier in the season involving Adams, where Adams allegedly spit on the player. Uh, Adams told Stadium that he had gone to the doctor, had a bad cough, and slobbered on the player during the game. According to somebody close to the situation, uh, Adams said to the player, quote, I can spit on you whenever I want to, end quote. Adams said that he doesn't ever remember saying that. So two separate situations here with Mark Adams. Mark Adams has been suspended by Texas Tech. Now, as far as the details of what was said by Adams, what we know comes from the statement released by Texas Tech, as well as some quotes from Adams in the Jeff Goodman article. Uh, In the statement from Texas Tech, it says that uh, Adams referenced Bible verses about workers, teachers, parents, and slaves serving their masters. In the Jeff Goodman article, where there are direct quotes from Mark Adams, he says that he was quoting the scripture, and he says, quote, I said that in the Bible that Jesus talks about how we all have bosses and we all are servants, end quote. So that's about the extent of what we know in terms of what was allegedly said by Adams. Now, something that I found very interesting is that the quotes from Adams in the Jeff Goodman article seem to directly refute something that was said in the Texas Tech release. In the Texas Tech statement, it says that Adams immediately addressed this with the team and apologized. While in the Jeff Goodman article, 
there's a direct quote from Mark Adams that says, quote, I explained to them I didn't apologize, end quote. I find it fascinating that Mark Adams is disputing what Texas Tech is saying about apologizing. That reads like Mark Adams wants it to be very clear that he did not apologize. It reads as if he doesn't feel like he has anything to apologize for. Um, And that was really what stuck out to me most about that Jeff Goodman article and the additional quotes that Mark Adams provided. From what I've seen, I applaud Texas Tech for taking swift action and taking this seriously. I don't think there's anything more serious than the relationship between coach and player and the administration and school taking complaints from players seriously. Players for far too long have been at such a disadvantage in the player-coach relationship and that player-coach power dynamic where the coach has all the power and players have very little and sometimes no power. And if a co- if a player feels like if a player feels uncomfortable with things that a coach is doing or saying or a way that they are addressing them, that is something that any athletic department, any school needs to take seriously. And uh, I applaud Texas Tech for seemingly taking this very seriously so far. Uh, It seems like they are acting quickly. They have suspended Adams. According to the statement from Texas Tech, um, athletic director Kirby Hocutt was made aware of the incident and um, issued him, issued Adams a written reprimand and then made the decision to suspend Adams. So uh, I think Tech is taking it seriously. I think it is the the right way to handle it, and it's a, another unfortunate situation in college basketball in a year that's that's seen a, a lot of unfortunate situations. So we will certainly continue to keep an eye on this and see what the next steps are and keep you updated on whatever those next steps may be. All right, well, that's our show for today. Have a lot of content coming your way over the next few weeks as we get into conference tournaments and then, of course, March Madness. Got a lot of good stuff coming your way, so stick with us. Until next time, this is Tailgate Tomang.